0: Well, good morning. So happy to be here. Um, Man, I just realized I hadn't seen Adam in probably almost 10 years. He has not changed a bit. (laughs) I've changed a lot. He has not changed. He told me that his daughter graduated from college and I was like, what? I feel pretty old. (laughs) And Kathy, um, what what a privilege to have been her supervisor. She is such a good student. And we just had so much fun doing that together, and I got to see her cross the stage at the ACBC conference when she got her certificate, and then I found out she's really good friends with a really good friend of mine from, like Carol Cogswell, from years ago, because she had taken a picture with her, and we're all Facebook friends, right? And I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm going, how does Carol know Kathy, and how does Kathy know Carol? So... Just fun, fun. The body of Christ, um, what a blessing, you know, really in, in the light of everything. It's really quite small, actually. <laughs> but um, I'm so excited to be able to talk a little bit about deeper discipleship. And you guys have all of your, um, your outlines there. And um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us as I'm kind of setting up here. And, and we'll kind of get into it. But let's, let's just pray as a way to start. Father, thank you for the privilege of teaching this morning your word. I pray for each woman here that they will have ears to hear and hearts to embrace your word as I unpack what it says about discipleship. um, Help me to be clear in my words, gracious in my tone, and accurate in my teaching. And as we've been singing this morning, we want you to receive all the praise that's due your name. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a really good book uh, that uh, was put out a few years ago by Mark Dever on discipleship. It's one of my favorites. It's just a little blue book. And in that book, he says that uh, the Christian life um, is the discipled life and the discipling life. So in other words, Christians like you and me, are to make it our goal as disciples of Christ to help other Christians to follow Christ. It's kind of a mouthful. Um, In a nutshell, that's really what we're going to be talking about today. As true disciples of Jesus Christ, how do we uh, come alongside and assist or encourage the women that God brings our way to follow Christ? You know, that's really what we're going to be diving into. Um, But before we get into what the purpose is for discipleship, I always think it's really fun to talk about the myths surrounding discipleship because there's quite a few and um, I talk to my students about this all the time and it'll be fun to kind of dialogue with you a little bit about some of the things, uh, myths if you will, um, about discipleship as part of an introduction and the first one that you see on your outline there is, I don't have enough time to be involved in discipleship. Have you ever thought that? Yeah, that happens. A lot of people do feel that way, but it's, it's a common response, a common response of many. Um, but we can debunk that myth by pointing back to who is our example. Christ, right? Yeah, he is our example. Not only did Jesus disciple others, himself, but we're going to learn in a moment that he commissions all Christians to disciple um, in his word. And so, because it's the Lord's priority, it ought to be our priority as well. And I would add that if you personally feel like you don't have enough time uh, to disciple, maybe just spend time examining how you spend your time, right, Um, which will expose your priorities. Or maybe... Think through uh, potentially the importance of allotting time versus trying to find time. Because I feel like we never find time, right? So you kind of have to just allot time. Because we have very busy, hurried lives living here in California. But I guess there's a person here from Texas. Is that right? Who came all the way from Texas? I heard something. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she not here. That's amazing. But anyway. We never just find time. So we've got to allot time. So that's one of the myths that comes up often. But another one um, that comes up about discipleship, is, that often comes up, is just wondering if discipleship is about just having a meeting with somebody once a week. You know, is that, is that all it is, getting together once a week, having this sort of meeting And I would say, how I would answer that is that it can look like a consistent meeting. For example, maybe you get together with a friend and you're deciding this summer to go through a book together, right? So consistency is involved, but discipleship in essence is actually more about life on life, right? So although it can be formal, um, like a formal meeting, like a consistent formal meeting, Uh, Really, it's more reflective of including somebody in your day-to-day, in your day-to-day life. Conversely, then, another myth that comes up is then is discipleship just about hanging out, hanging out with another person. And to a degree, I would say that it does appear that way, that we're just hanging out. But what I would add is that discipleship should be purposeful. Should have intention behind it. So, for example, if you do have someone come over to your home, even though the meeting may be somewhat informal, what is the purpose behind behind the meeting? Are you seeking to build a better friendship with her? Are you planning to encourage her in good things like loving her husband or loving her children or or being sensible, something like that? Um, do you want to teach her how to do something? Like, let's say you want to teach her how to cook something or, um, you know, something like that. But it should have a purpose. It should have a purpose. And as such, I would, I would kind of argue that discipleship actually supersedes a mere friendship. A little bit more to it. In other words, we're not, we're not just hanging out you know, um, and going shopping, let's say, women like to go shopping, or maybe even getting together at a park with our kids for a play date. Those are really good good things, of course, that we enjoy doing together. But discipleship is even more intentional because it's focused upon the vertical, right, with God, which holds up the horizontal, which is our relationships with one another. Um, and so as believers... We're united in spirit, in, in one spirit, really, and intent on purposes outside of ourselves. And our purpose in the Christian life, ultimately, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay? So we can kind of talk through that. Now then, so then another one comes up. So then, does discipleship just happen by accident? Does it just happen by accident? Not likely. Not likely. Usually it's a little more purposeful than that. And what I mean by that is a discipler is typically going to ask another person if they would like to be discipled and or somebody is going to ask a person to disciple them. You know, there's initiation, in other words, a little bit more um, intentional. But either way, there's some kind of intentionality, and I would say commitment. You know, you decide to get together, you've got to be committed to the effort, Right. Um, Number five, it isn't really that important that I be involved in discipleship, right? That's a myth. That's a myth because it's not only important, it's actually expected by Jesus himself, who we just sang about, right? And he says what we're going to learn when we open up the word together is that as we are going... You know, we are to be about discipling, encouraging, you know, teaching others the very things that you've been taught by Christ himself from his word. That's the idea. That's the idea. Um, Here's another myth. The person you disciple must become just like you. Well, I hope not. (laughs) Right? I hope not. That's not the point. Hopefully, um, we're not, you know, teaching people or encouraging them to put their ultimate trust in people. Rather, uh, we disciple others so that they will follow Christ and become more like their Savior. Follow me as I follow Christ. Isn't that what Paul taught? Right? Another one um, you must solve all of the problems of the person you're discipling. Boy, that's overwhelming. (laughs) Uh, The answer is not likely. Not likely. Because the goal is to uh, try and help a woman that you're discipling to become more dependent upon Christ and his word. That's my goal, is to help you to become more dependent upon Christ. And I do that through modeling and encouraging in the same way that we're going to talk about today. We'll get into that a little bit more. And then this last one, you have to be super spiritual. You have to have your BA or your MA in biblical counseling in order to disciple someone. What do you think about that? Yes, no? Absolutely not. (laughs) You do not have to have all the credentials in order to disciple somebody. Of course not. Um, We should remind ourselves that we're all sinners who, who serve a great Savior. Number one. And the goal in discipleship is to come alongside other Christians, other women in our life, as one safe center to another, and to encourage them towards Christ-likeness. If we felt like we needed to be super spiritual or perfect, none of us would ever qualify, right? And so, I mean, think of the Apostle Paul for a moment. We always refer to him as a super Christian, right? But even he was not perfect. Even he struggled uh, with weakness, and so really the goal is to come alongside and just encourage another person um, towards Christ-likeness. So with that in mind, I'm going to transition to our first point there in your outline, which is our purpose for discipleship. So what is our purpose? Well, the first purpose behind discipleship is so that you and I can engage in the Great Commission, Okay, so we can engage in a great commission. And I'm going to have you open up to Matthew 28 now. We're going to look at that together. We are going to be focused upon uh, verses 16 to 20 this morning, which says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay? So we're going to begin our discussion this morning by answering this question. What is a disciple of Christ? What is a disciple of Christ? And the, the first answer is a, a true disciple of Christ is a person who follows in his footsteps and does as he taught and lived. Okay, But to follow Christ and to be Christ-like, one must have truly entered into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. That is actually where true discipleship begins. And if you don't mind flipping through your Bible, and I can just read it to you as well, but we find that in Romans 10, 9 to 10, where Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So being a disciple... Of Jesus Christ always begins with what he has done for the believer, right? All people fall short of the glory of God, so one has to be born again. There's no other way. Secondly, um, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ also means one has a desire to obey him. Jesus talks about this in John 15, verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? So out of love for Christ, his true disciples obey His word. And we do that out of love. That's really the heart motive. And they can, because of another verse that we come across in Second Corinthians 5:17, which reminds us that if anyone is in Christ, if you're an in-Christ one, if you're a believer, um, you' are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So there's a love for Christ, uh, and and out of love for Christ, there's an obedience to his word. And then thirdly, being a disciple of Christ also means that you, because of this heart change, you now have a fervent love for all who belong to him, for the body of Christ. And I was out there during your breakfast time, and I saw the love that you have for one another. That comes from a heart that loves Christ. You know, we love Christ with all and we love our neighbor as ourself. And so I saw a lot of loving our neighbor as ourself going on out there over coffee. That was great. But yes, that is part of being a disciple of Christ. And Jesus talks about this in John thirteen thirty five when he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's really important. Do you have love for one another? And I would say, absolutely, I, I see that at this church for sure. And as a disciple of Christ also, there ought to be a desire in one's heart to serve and love one another in the body of Christ, for sure. And then fourthly, being a disciple of Christ means to continue on or to persevere in the truth. Perseverance. In other words, um, a true disciple of Christ is no longer a slave to sin. What are they a slave to now? Righteousness, right? We're a slave to righteousness. Romans um, 6, 17 to 18 talks about this when Paul says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching in which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So in summary, to the question I posed, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Well, it means to be born again, and committed to learning about Jesus, who he is, and what he requires from his word. It also means being steadfast in following his footsteps according to his word and doing as he taught and lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. And that, ladies, is what I call real faith in action. No longer is the disciple of Christ living for self, but for Christ alone. They want to become his followers in their doctrine and in their life. The Apostle Paul probably says it best in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, right? Who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Christian life is the discipled life. But the Christian life is also the discipling life. And that, now we're going to answer a second question, and that has everything to do with Matthew 28. Um, we'll kind of get into that. But the second question I pose on your outline there is, what does it mean to make disciples? What does that mean? And according to Matthew 28, uh, 16 to 20, um, we who follow Christ are also commissioned by Christ to help others to follow Christ. And so now we're going to look at this passage a little bit deeper, uh, Matthew 28. So first, as we consider what it means to make disciples, it's important to note the greatness of the author, okay? Notice that when the disciples saw Jesus, in verse 17, they worshipped him. Okay, they worshipped him. Why? Because Jesus is God, Jesus is God, and because he is God, we see in verse 18 there that his authority is the basis of everything he's going to talk about or mention about discipleship, right? Uh, Verse 18, once again, just says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he's making a great claim in verse 18 that his authority is over every believer, that's a great claim. In other words, um, as a believer, we didn't just one day make Jesus Lord and Savior by the authority given to him in heaven and on earth. Jesus just is Lord and Savior. He just is. And not only that, but Jesus is Lord and Savior over all things like nature and nations and diseases, demons, sin, death, over every life in this world, Um, So it's important to note that as we consider this whole topic of discipleship, that we're not talking about a man-made program, you know, that we contrive in our churches. This is just a way of life, and we're also talking about the authority that's been given to Jesus in heaven, which should motivate us, I think, as his true disciples to go and seek to promote his kingdom, because that's really what we're doing we're seeking to promote his kingdom on earth by making disciples in our own little ministry contexts. You know, we'll talk a little bit about that. We also endeavor to disciple others to follow Christ because we love him with our whole heart, mind, and soul. And we want to acknowledge his authority to others. Why? Because he's our king and we want to give him the worship that is due him through our discipleship efforts. So, after he makes this great claim as to his authority to the disciples, in verse 19, he follows up with his great commission. And he begins in verse 19 by saying, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. So, in other words, in light of my authority, I want you to go and make disciples. Um, In the original Greek, if you study the languages, what you're going to find is that in this particular passage, the verb uh, translated go is what we call a participle, right? And it's the participle going, going. And that's what um, some commentators call it a circumstantial participle, but it's meant to coordinate with what the main command or the main verb is in that passage, which is to make disciples. That's the main verb. So in essence, uh, what Jesus is really saying to all of us who are his true disciples is while you are going— Or when you move from one place to another, we are to be making disciples and then baptizing them and teaching them the very things that we've been taught by Christ himself. Sometimes making disciples of all nations means to go overseas. I think sometimes people take the Great Commission passage and they think it's only applied to missions. Right, and and in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of us have gone overseas. I've gone overseas many, many times um, with my husband, and have done a lot of great commission work, traveling from place to place. But really, the main focus that Jesus is emphasizing here is, as a disciple of Christ, you are to duplicate yourself wherever you find yourself. Okay, um, as a disciple of Christ, and so for me, just to kind of make it practical. As a, as a mom of four, that's where my discipleship began. My kids, you know, as, as mothers, if, if there's mothers out here, um, you know, we seek to train our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's discipleship. And then over time, as your children get older and you're freed up um, and you, you grow in Christ a little bit more, you begin to think about discipling in the one-on-one context, you know, meeting with somebody, with other women. Sometimes it is informal. Um, and sometimes it, it's, it's through a biblical counseling kind of a context. Uh, there is a difference. Biblical counseling is a little bit more formal in its application. It's still discipleship. I kind of call it formal discipleship in a lot of ways. But nonetheless, there's a one-on-one. So I do a lot of that. I know Kathy, I'm sure, does a lot of that. Um, but did you know that you can also be discipled through a teaching ministry? And that's exactly what I'm doing right now, is I'm discipling you. But in a teaching context, right? You can, you can think outside the box a little bit. Um, even globally, as Kim and I prepare for our podcasts, we're thinking on a global scale of discipleship. The women that we've never met and may never meet in our whole life, but globally speaking, we're seeking to disciple them through the airwaves, as it were, right? I mean, the best scenario, obviously, is the one-on-one, Um, because you're really involved in the life on life. But you can think outside the box a little bit in that sense. And so there's a lot of ways to go and make disciples. Um, I teach mostly women at the Master's University. And and let me tell you, there's lots of opportunities to go and make disciples of 18 to 20-somethings, or 18 to 22-somethings. You know, I get a lot of girls coming to my office and asking me lots and lots and lots of questions. I think it's great. I think it's great. I love having an open door and having them knowing that they have the freedom to come and talk to me. That's important. But according to the scriptures and Jesus himself, um, this idea of discipleship is how it has been from the beginning. Um, To make disciples of Christ is, or to be a disciple of Christ is to make disciples of Christ. In fact, scripture knows nothing of disciples who are not making disciples, right? Um, God's word actually considers this normal Christian living. It's an aspect that we need to grow in, I think. Um, Okay, so thinking through some goals now um, when it comes to making disciples, let's talk about that a little bit. Goals for making disciples. Within this command to make disciples, we can think through a few goals, and the first one being that we need to learn um, a little bit more about sharing the truth about Jesus. When you look at verse 19 and and you cross-reference that with, say, like Acts 1, verse 8, one thing that's clear is that the early disciples were to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And some stayed local, but many, many disciples, like the Apostle Paul... He went beyond just the nation of Israel, and he called other people to repentance and belief, and it should, it should be no different today. Um, but biblically speaking, as Christ's disciples spoke the gospel, they also lived according to the gospel. So as we are going, we too ought to be sharing the gospel as God gives us opportunity. Now let's just think about this really practically. What do you mean by that? Well, for me, I have these three little uh, grandchildren now and they're only like two, Uh, two of them are two years old, one of them is four months, and one one is on the way, actually, I have four grandchildren, but as I think about sharing the gospel, God gives me the privilege of spending time with them each week, and you better believe I'm going to be a gospel influence in their life. Thankfully, their parents are believers too, but you know what I mean, Um, a a grandparent, there's just something different about a grandparent. We have a little bit more sway sometimes. But anyways, um, that is just a a, a privilege to be able to do that. Um, But we also have opportunities to share the gospel within just relationships that we have in our churches or in in classrooms, you know, different places. Um, But the point is, you've got to think through, as God gives you opportunity, where are you really sharing about Christ in your life? Are you sharing? Because that could just be so many things. Maybe some of you commute to school or commute to work, you know, and you 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 recognize the same people over and over again. Do you strike up a conversation? You know, do you talk about Christ in your life, things like that? But the point is, you need to go and make disciples by sharing the truth about Jesus. Um, So you should be praying for that opportunity. Those are those should be welcomed opportunities. But making disciples doesn't end when you simply bear witness. About Christ to unbelievers, Um, according to the second part of verse nineteen, it says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit." That's actually um, that's actually a command of the Lord Jesus. And so, another thing that we need to think through is once a person becomes a believer, let's say you've shared Christ with them, they've turned from their sin towards Christ, they've placed their faith in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by God's grace, and they become saved. Now we need to think through how does one symbolize that their identification with Christ, and we do that through believer's baptism, don't we? Um, that's an important aspect, and again, it's a command, it's not a nice suggestion, but understand that, that Jesus isn't saying there that we get baptized first to become a Christian, he's not saying that, He's just saying that it, once you become one, then you're called to make a declaration of your faith in Christ. And that's, that's what believer's baptism really is. So I'll give you a little, little uh, tidbit in my own testimony. So I got saved at 29, and I'm a first-generation Christian, so I grew up in a very liberal, very liberal home. And I had no concept of, of a Christian life at all. I didn't, you know, I didn't really have a sense of what that was. But... When we bought our first home 30 years ago, um, as the Lord would have it, He moved us next door to a born again believer. And she was so uh, kind and gracious to come over and befriend me. And she began to share the gospel with me right away. She did not pull any punches. I was a little bit resistant at first. I'm not going to lie. But (laughs) anyway, you know, just thinking through that, it's not like I got saved right away. um, But through her consistent friendship, evangelism approach, and about 10 months into that relationship, by God's grace, he saved me. And a year later, he saved my husband, which doesn't always happen that that soon. But it's amazing to think through that. So now you've got a first-generation, 29-year-old woman who gets saved. Um, do you think I know what the next step is? I don't, because I don't know anything. <laughs> so she had to disciple me in helping me to even understand what it means to write out a testimony. Because in my church, and it's probably the same here, before you're baptized, you have to kind of write out a testimony talk through that with a leader, and then when you get up to be baptized, you read your testimony first, right, before they dunk you in the water and all that. Well, I mean, why would I know how to do anything like that? You know, I don't know what that is. And so it really requires another believer um, to go beyond just sharing the truth with you, but actually discipling you in what comes next. And so I was uh, probably baptized within a few weeks after I came to Christ, And so she discipled me in the practical things. I mean, even this idea of needing to uh, make an appointment with the pastor before even any of that stuff happens. I mean, these are things that that believers need to understand when you're dealing with, especially first-generation people. They just don't know these things. Okay, So that's the practical side. But um, this idea of being baptized, it's a very important goal. To emphasize, because the New Testament knows nothing of unbaptized Christians. When you read the New Testament, you will find that when someone gets saved, baptism always follows. So if you are invested in someone's life and you discover through the discipleship that they haven't been discipled or been baptized, you need to kind of investigate as to why. Okay, well, not only does Jesus' great commission encourage his disciples to share the truth about him and then to symbolize their identification with him through believer's baptism. The third goal of making disciples in this passage is to be committed to to, uh, showing the word of God by teaching others, okay? Jesus says there in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, so in other words, we don't just receive the word from those who witness to us, like my neighbor, and you know we get saved, and then we just sit, soak, and sour in church. It's my favorite phrase: sit, soak, and sour, um, doing nothing more than just showing up week after week, hiding in the back row, right, and then leaving right away. Rather, as true disciples of Christ, we have this biblical responsibility now to show the word of God through our evangelism efforts. And then teaching others the very things that we've been taught by Christ and, and his word. And to be sure, showing the word of God does happen when, we, when we're part of a church like this and you attend and you listen to the word being taught up here by your pastor, obviously. But also showing the word of God happens in the life on life together in community um, and when you meet regularly as women to model the Christian life and really kind of pass on, as it were, the legacy of faith. Um, I actually really praise the Lord for the women God allowed in my life in those early years of me being a, a new believer because they really willingly and intentionally came alongside me and really taught me so much. There's always lots of modeling that goes on with uh, discipleship. There is there is teaching. There's correction, right? There's correction, in the context of living together as part of a local church. And even today, 30-plus years later being a believer, I still place myself um, in discipleship relationships so that I can continue to grow in Christ. Because you never stop growing, you know? And so I still have those relationships. That's really important. And that brings us to the next purpose, because along with uh, what we have been talking about, um, another, um, I would say, purpose for discipleship that kind of ties in with what I just said, is really to model Titus 2. I'm sure that you've heard of Titus 2 before. I bet it's been taught here many times. But let's, let's go to Titus 2 now. I know this will be familiar to you. Um, so Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that, they may encourage the young woman to love, her, love their husband, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husband, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So, in essence, this uh, particular passage in God's word is actually part of Paul's strategy for discipleship in the local church. Um, And in in particular, this is talking about um, engaging in the Great Commission with women together um, and seeking to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so let's begin by just considering the calling for women in the church. Um, In this particular letter, Paul is challenging the pastor of this church, Titus, to equip Um, Many people for different things, but in our passage in particular, he is calling uh, for Titus to equip the older Christian women to guard the truth by training and teaching a generation of younger women to love and to fear the Lord through their words, through their gifting and their example, rather than giving out worldly advice, right? Um, So that, why? So that the word of God will not be, some of your versions might say, reviled or dishonored, um, something like that. So that's what the older woman's calling is, is to teach and train. Teach and train. And believe me, when I tell you that being a mom and a grandmom and a professor of young women, I know firsthand um, that, that these dear ones are getting tons and tons of advice from the world right now. For heaven's sakes, they don't even know what a woman is, Right? Um, And so they're getting tons of worldly, ridiculous, terrible things, advice, um, at the college level, especially, um, is where it usually comes down the pike. But as women in Christ, um, our advice, or better yet, we should say our counsel to them, needs to be set apart from the world. Because we're set apart from the world, right? Um, And our wisdom needs to be clothed in God's truth, especially in a world that promotes my own personal truth. That's what you're confronted with. That's the mantra of today's now post postmodern modern world. Post-post. Um, the empty advice the world gives is not what Paul has in mind here, of course. Rather, he, is, he, he says that we are to be counseling, counseling other women um, that which is proper or fitting for sound doctrine. So the primary objective of your life as a woman in Christ is to try to integrate God's word into all areas of your life, you know, whether that is in the context of being a wife, or that is in the context of being a mother, or that is in the context of being a student, or that is in the context of being single, widowed, workers at home, workers outside of the home. The goal, the primary objective, is to um, not only glorify God, but to integrate God's Word into your life as as just a a way of life, really. Um, That's really, really important. Um, And as women of Christ, if we do not see the value of uh, doing—well, really, if you don't see the value of God's Word being sufficient, then then this is all just falling off, you know, falling on deaf ears. Because it really begins with what's your authority. Well, we just read that Christ is our authority, right? So that means his word's your authority, right? That's your life. That's our life. Um, So we need to see the value of implementing God's sufficient truth into our lives by applying it for his glory. And then our walks will become more than just intellectual. It's more than just academic. It's more than just a bunch of biblical moral information. It's more than that. Um, we need to know and understand God's word and apply it, um, you know, for God's glory. But mostly, that happens in a very practical, real, genuine way in the one-on-one context, the discipleship context. I would say, I would say, um, you know, you're a product of your theology. You ever heard that saying before? We are a product of our theology. So, in other words, what you believe about God will show up in your everyday life whether that be at work, at home, at school, or even in your local church. So going back to Titus 2 now, and just kind of considering the culture, so when you come to the Bible, you should always consider culture as well. Um, Probably, more than likely, um, just considering the culture there, the teaching and the training that these older women were doing is probably focused on the private ministry of a woman's home. You know, um, wouldn't have been really common for women to work back then, but their instruction would have been by word and by example. And so that infers that truth is taught, but it's also caught, isn't it? Example. Example. Um, you know, in the context of that woman to woman relationship. So we learn from the passage that part of discipleship is a call. To be involved in each other's lives. And as believers, you know, we're part of a family. We are in a part of a family. We're not to isolate ourselves from one another or leave discipleship as the responsibility to your pastor and your elders. Rather, as older women, or we could just say seasoned mature women, um, as well as the men, have a responsibility to share their gifts and God's truth with the younger generation. Either man to man or woman to woman, and that's really god 's strategy for discipleship within the local church, what he's got laid out here. And just to kind of go back into a little bit about, more about my testimony, um, you know when I again, when I became a believer, I had to spend a lot of time with older godly women. I need, I needed to learn so much. I mean I was really quite frankly, just a feminist when I was married because we were married for six years before God graciously saved me. And so I had to do a lot of untraining, (laughs) and I just had to pound it out of my head. But so many women being willing to model for me what a godly wife and mother looks like. Um, And, you know, when you're in those settings, by the way, like you're in someone's home and you're learning from people, it's not like there's perfection going on there. You know, you also get opportunity to see people struggle. And sometimes sin. And you also get to see people recover from that. You know, what it means to repent or, you know, uh, forgiveness. And um, I think that, you know, whether you're married or single in this group here, you need to make it a priority to be in a discipleship relationship with somebody. Because these are really important things that God wants us to learn. And one one thought is, because this is, this can be a little intimidating for people, but I think the easiest way to ask somebody for this kind of help... I'm sure you observe women in your sphere of influence here, and you you know of the faithful, trusted women here—the women that are just uh, that you'd love to learn from. And I would just say to a younger woman, just ask her to coffee and ask her questions. You know, don't be afraid to do that. You know, or tea, um, or you know, just whatever whatever you like. Um, spend time with her, ask her questions about her testimony. Don't make it like peppering her with theological questions. I'm just talking about get to know her. Um, you're going to be blessed if you take that 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 step. And then I then I would encourage the seasoned, mature women in the audience today not to be afraid when the when the younger woman asks you to do this. Just be open, be prepared, be okay with that. Trust the Lord. Make it your aim to invest in the next generation. That's really important. We're just one one decision away from walking away with the Lord, walking away from the Lord. If you've ever read Joshua, that's what exactly what happened. The 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 believers or the Israelites were faithful until Joshua died, and then they weren't, okay? So it's just one generation away from walking away. But you'll be blessed by these special opportunities, um, and you'll get to know each other, and it's just a a good thing. It doesn't have to be um, a real formal thing. It's just getting to know. I just want to learn from you some things, okay? So that's the calling for the older woman, but what about her character, Paul talks about this. Um, he says in verse 3 that these older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So it's kind of assumed here that this older woman that he's talking about is, has at least been married long enough to have some insight into marriage. You know, maybe you're a new married. You probably would like to learn from someone that's got some insight, some, some years into marriage, or maybe old enough to have passed through various seasons of life, including raising children. You know, if you're a mommy of new um, little ones, you probably want to talk to someone that's already passed through that season. It's very helpful. But in principle, um, the older woman doesn't necessarily have to be married, or even have children, actually. Rather, the emphasis here is on her, um, her, her faith, her maturity in, in her faith with Christ. And, of course, that happens over time in life. I was with a group of women last night that are getting ready to do a VBS in one of our Grace Advanced Churches in Baltimore. And, I, and as I, my husband was leading the meeting, so I went with him. But as I was sitting there, I was realizing that all the women that are going are single. And they've been single all their life. And they're super mature, and it was just such a blessing to see that, and I realized I could learn from her some things. I was just thinking about all the different things I could learn from Sarah, you know, and, and, and Kristen, and all of this, and it was just kind of neat. So don't think that you can't be a Titus II woman if, if, you're, if you're not married, I guess I should say. That's not really the emphasis. Um, so the emphasis is on her maturity in her faith with Christ, which happens over time as God sanctifies her. Even the infamous Proverbs 31 woman that we always throw out, <laughs> that people get nervous about, you've got to understand that that woman developed her character over time. That isn't something that just happened like the next day after she got married or something. That is not what that is about. That is, that is a learned process. Um, but in Titus 2 here, Paul is pointing towards women who are deep in their faith, and they have an understanding of the word of God, and they're not swayed. By every wind of doctrine, rather they are women of sound doctrine. And Paul illustrates for us what happens when an older woman has learned sound doctrine and she's applied it to her own life. Her character actually just gives her away. Her character gives her away. So by God's grace, she is a woman who is characterized as being reverent in her behavior. That just means she's an example of holiness to those around her. You know, you would, you would think of her that way. Not only that, um, she's someone who walks in integrity at church, but she also lives out what she professes within the four walls of her home. It's not just here, putting on a good face, but she's the same. There's continuity, right? She's the same church at home. Um, She's a woman also who is self-controlled. She's not a gossip um, or someone that's enslaved to much wine. Rather, as truth has moved into her life over time, She has developed a reverent love for God and his people, and it is completely evident in her life. I know that there's women in here like that. This is not a perfect woman. Nobody's perfect, right, this side of heaven. But this is a woman who is set apart from the world, and it's really obvious. And uh, this is a woman that's like the tree that's mentioned in Psalm 1, which is firmly planted by streams of water and is fruitful In any season of her life, even if it's a hard season, she is persevering in the truth. And as a result, she is steadfast, she's immovable, she's abounding in the work of the Lord. And this is a woman who is wise in her walk and delights in the law of the Lord. So that's kind of what he's getting at. Um, So not only does Paul hone in on the character of this woman, but he also commissions her to teach what is good. We see that. And and teaching what is good, you know, when you get together with someone and you're thinking, I want to teach something um, good, it's not just about, it's not really just about imparting facts about God or instruction. Um, Really, teaching what is good kind of involves uh, godly women who view God's word as sufficient, who understand and embrace what God teaches as it relates to the important issues impacting someone's life, you know, so... Questions come up, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? What does the Bible say about that? Wifing, mothering, you know, just different issues that come up. And we just we just seek to, to encourage other women to live in such a way that, that you can glorify God even in that life context. But the goal is really just to guide women towards maturity in Christ. I think that would be a good way to kind of, you know... Um, Put a little synopsis there. Um, another thing to think about is is teaching what is good is also the important task of just passing on the faith to the next generation. We talked a little bit about that already. It, it burdens me today what I see and read out there amongst women and women's ministries. There's a lot of things going on, and it's not all good. You know, there is a lot of the women that I um, actually looked up to in some areas of women's ministries have kind of have kind of gone away, kind of gone to the left of the Bible, really, um, you know, just saying things that um, have a bit of a feminist agenda in them, and just sort of undergirded by, by just different things that they want to do. So I'm burdened by that, and part of discipleship is being able to pass on a biblical legacy of faith to others um because we 're going to lose our younger women to these these false progressive and woke teachings, let me tell you so if you 're not investing they 're going they 're going to fall trapped to that it 's easy to embrace that they they think it 's good sometimes so anyway, woman to woman discipleship is vital in helping to speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine and I the one um, i don 't have it on your outline but i 'll just read this to you this is a Uh, kind of a summary statement that John MacArthur uh, said on this topic. Um, He says that teaching what is good requires the seasoned, mature woman to be committed to being responsible, confrontive, and affirming in an ongoing relationship with a younger woman. And so now I'm just going to Talk a little bit about just some of the counsel that you see um, that women should be giving other women. I mean, it's, it's just a, a good thing to talk through. But notice that the first exhortation um, in verse 4 is for them to love their husbands. So, this first exhortation obviously is for the old woman to train the young married woman in that discipline of loving her husband. What does that even mean? It just means. Um, being fond of your husband and considering him a dear friend. I mean, that's, that's what we want to encourage women to think of their husbands uh, like. It's a phileo love. It's a deep friendship that's evident to others. It's not based on the husband's worthiness. It's, it's based on a different kind of love, like a willing, determined love that's extended by the wife's affection. That's a wonderful way to encourage another young married woman, especially in a culture that doesn't think very highly of marriage. Right? But we're set apart. So in the disciple context, you might find yourself as a discipler simply encouraging the woman to love her husband. That's such a big thing. Um, Don't be frightened to do that, um, but draw upon experiences in your own life and encourage her as unto the Lord. That's just super important. The next thing is love their children. That next little bit of counsel. I mean, what a, what a great opportunity to be a woman to come alongside another woman and just encourage her to grow in godliness in by loving her children. You know, the idea behind that is to to love um, is for the mother to think of her children in a very tender or beloved way. You know, I mean, so many practical things can come out of that. Uh, my my daughters and daughter in laws are all having children right now, right? And so new mommies, my heart goes out to them. I know it's hard. There's sleep deprivation involved. <laughs> you know, there's just hard things. There's different kinds of pressures. What a blessing to come alongside and be sympathetic and to just encourage them in their, their new mommyhood. Um, some of those little critters just don't sleep, you know, and, and they just want to eat all the time, and they just cry all the time, right? We love them. They have tantrums. My little two-year-old uh, grandson tantrums like no, nothing I've ever seen. But it's just good. It's good to shepherd women that are in that stage of life. They need it. They need the support. They actually need to know that you're not alone. This is not unique. <laughs> All of us go through this. <laughs> this is, I know this is a rough, hard time, but this too shall pass in a sense, you know. So if you if you know women like that who need that kind of encouragement, I really encourage you to encourage them. Um, the next bit of counsel that you could train a younger woman in is just to be sensible. This isn't isolated to just the married woman. This is for everybody, young, old, married, single. You know, um, Sometimes when we think about what it means to be sensible, we may liken it to a definition of being practical or functional, but Paul has a much richer meaning here. He means that to be sensible encompasses the idea of self-control in your behavior, in your emotions, and how you think. So, you know, that idea of being sensible, it's not even isolated to just women. Um, If you read the whole book of, uh, the whole letter to Titus, you'll notice that the exhortation is for the leaders of the church, for the men of the church, young and old, and for the women of the church, young and old. Um, So... What's what's one way that you could encourage a younger woman to grow in sensibility? You know, um, you could encourage her to spend more time in the Word. You could encourage her to grow in her her prayer life. Um, you could study a book of the Bible together. I mean, there's lots of practical things that you could do. And then, of course, purity is the next bit of counsel there. And what's purity? You know, it's just the freedom from anything that contaminates. Purity is the quality of being faultless, uncompromised, unadulterated. You know, think of pure gold, which has been refined to such a degree that all the dross floats to the top, and then you can remove it. So how might you emphasize and talk to a woman about purity? That is such a big topic with uh, young women today, because they're so, they're bombarded by all of the just junk in the world, as you know. And so we, we need to be champions of coming alongside and helping them to understand what is God really talking about, because he emphasizes purity in scripture, which just means holiness in a lot of ways. Um, it's directed at modesty and things like that, but it's really directed f- at freedom from sexual immorality of any kind, right? And so if a woman is going to walk in godliness, she's got a desire to keep her body pure. So what would that look like? when you're having uh, discussions with one another. You know, um, you know, battling with sin is so hard. We really have to fight for purity in our lives. And so what would that battle look like? How would you encourage her? You know, How would you help her to be in the good fight, as it were? How do you help her to guard her heart diligently? Uh, workers at home is another bit of counsel that, surround, that centers around the home. And simply put, really, a, a worker at home is just someone who guards dwelling place or as a keeper of her household. Um, The emphasis that Paul is bringing out here is to train the younger woman in how to do a good job of caring for her home and her family if they have a family. But in as much as a married woman would have this as a priority, um, the principle actually applies to all women, single, married, doesn't really matter because I always tell my students you can even you can even be a keeper of your dorm room. You really can. <laughs> you know, it's not just a home; um, it's just your dwelling. You know those kinds of things. How might you be able to help someone in that area? You know, you would draw on your own experience. Um, and I might add, find value in it. It's important to God. It should be important to you, right? Then teaching someone to be kind. Um, that's the next bit of count, counsel. Train someone to walk in kindness. Or we could say teaching someone what it means to be a gracious person as opposed to a harsh, hard, bitter, and sharp person. Man, that that is just our world right there in a nutshell. Hard, bitter, sharp. We don't want to be that. We want to be like Christ. We want to be kind. We want to be gracious. Maybe, maybe um, helping a person understand that through studying First Corinthians thirteen together, maybe that would be a practical way. Um, kindness is also teaching someone how to overcome evil with good. You know, what would that look like? We we live in a world that's that's filled with so much harsh, opinionated, and progressive thought. So how do we get back to? kindness. And then finally, just this being subject to your own husband, that's last but not least, you know, it's, it's it's just this idea, it's not a small subject, and I could spend a whole hour just talking about that in and of itself, but it's just an exhortation to wives to be subject to their own husbands, notice how it says their own husbands, <laughs> as under the Lord, it just means to voluntarily place or arrange yourself under someone in authority, um, you know, under your husband's Headship, But submission, it's just very important to God all around. It's not just a, a command for wives. It's also a command for all believers. Um, if you were to take time to study Ephesians 5, you would see that, that we actually are subject to one another, uh, which honors the Lord. But specifically here in Titus two five, he's calling believing wives to be subject to or ranked under their husband's authority. It doesn't mean you're a slave to your husband. It's not saying that. Um, It also does, it's not saying that you never open your mouth or have an opinion or give wise counsel. It just means that as a husband and wife team, you're a team discussing various issues that come up in your families, which the husband ultimately leads through, right, that kind of idea. So they're just, the leadership is there, you can see it. Um, So just to kind of wrap up our morning here, um, the Apostle Paul... In this Titus 2 passage, um, what he's just saying here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that the seasoned, mature woman in the body of Christ should not only possess godly character, um, which plays a a really essential role in the lives of young women, but the concept is for them to come alongside and help Um, Other women in their lives to grow in that way as well by God's grace through the Holy Spirit Um, Again, it's interesting because this responsibility of doing this is placed on the women Notice that titus isn't doing the discipling of the women. It's the women discipling the women, right? He was just responsible for encouraging the older women to do that and so we we need to take part Okay, so let's go back to Matthew now, and let's just look at that promise so I can encourage you, because you're probably feeling overwhelmed right now. (laughs) But I just want to encourage you, before you go have lunch. um, In verse 20 there, the second half, you see a promise. And it's beautiful, because we actually sang about this um, in our worship time through music. But notice after Jesus gives um, this great commission command, he says in the second part, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, So, you know, it's it's kind of Jesus preparing to pass on the baton to his disciples. And he's just promising that as they are making disciples of all nations— that he will be spiritually present with his followers until the end of the age, right? Through the Holy Spirit, this, um, until he returns. And so don't leave feeling anxious about everything I just taught you <laughs> or worried about discipleship with other women. Um, making disciples is not about you, okay? As much as it is based on who Jesus is and what he can do through your life, and through another person's life, when you commit to his great commission, it's not your great commission, it's his great commission. And my heart's desire really for you is, is that last part, um, that the Lord is with you always. And my encouragement is for you to remember that the Lord's nearness is your good. He's omnipresent, so he's perpetually near. He's with you all the time. And in light of that truth, just that knowledge of who God is, that's what you need to persevere in this life and in your in your discipleship efforts as well. And understand too that Jesus is with you regardless of your successes or your failures, right? Even in your discipleship efforts. And so the challenge really is to simply is just to simply trust in Christ as you go and make disciples. Make sense? Alright, so let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for these wonderful women who want to learn more from your word on discipleship, I pray that what I've shared this morning will have a lasting impression and that more women here will desire to make disciples as they are going in the way that you've called us to go. Lord, we love you and really just desire to bring you glory in our lives and to seek to promote your kingdom on earth, not our own. And of course, we pray this in Christ's authoritative name. Amen. All right. There might be some direction for lunch. I'm just come off and let you do your thing.